0: for joining us for our virtual worship experience. I'm Pastor Charles Hamilton here at New Morning Light Baptist Church, and I personally thank you for joining us for worship. You could have joined any other channel, you could have watched any other station to try to get your spiritual nourishment for this week. However, you came here to worship with us, and we at New Morning Light Baptist Church thank you for that. However, since you are here, there's some things we want you to do before partaking in the service. And that's first, center yourself. Preparing your heart, preparing your mind for this worship experience. Sometimes there is a commercial that plays before the worship experience comes on. Sometimes there's so much that goes on in your household. And all of that can distract you from this worship experience. However, in this moment, take time to center yourself. Take time to truly experience what thus says the Lord. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And on this Sunday, you will hear a mighty word from the Lord to convict your heart and hopefully allow you to figure out what you need to do to be in deeper relationship with God. May God bless you and may God keep you. Have a wonderful Sunday.
1: you've done for me jeez I'll never get how you said
2: Black Family, Representation, Identity, and Diversity. The black family is a unit, a team, in other words, a squad, blessed and covered in the blood of God. By society, we are often torn down, yet we still manage to be around. Out into this nation we go, representing the black family. Throughout our trials and tribulations, we continue to grow. Our identity is not seen correct. Not all of us are ignorant, no mannered, and full of disrespect. We greet you all with a smile, followed by a pleasant salutation, because we are taught to fight through our many frustrations. We have generations amongst us, talking about our elders, whom stand tall and refuse to fall. The black family is full of diversity, day in and day out. It feels like you're attending an HBCU. That's our historically black colleges and universities. Helping each other from youngest to the oldest, God has given us strength to be the boldest, making our adversities unable to stop or hold us. The black family, representation, identity, and diversity.
3: I'm here this morning. We're going to call the call to worship. The scripture will be coming from Deuteronomy 28th chapter. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God, will set you high above all nations of earth. All, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and product Of your grounds and the increase of your herd, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock, blessed shall you be shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just to thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Father God, we just want to thank you for being you. Father, we can't ask you to come here in here because you are in here. Father God, we just thank you for giving us a place to worship you. Even though we can worship you anywhere, Father, we just want to thank you for this place father god we want you to bless this church bless this community bless our pastor bless each and every member father god we love you and we just want to give you all the praise father god bless our government from city to state to country be with us father god father god be in them and around their leaders Father God, we just thank you for all things that you've done and are doing and going to do. We thank you for all these and all of the blessings that you are doing for New Morning Life. We thank you, Lord, in your son Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank God.
0: Church family, I'm glad to be with you on another virtual Sunday. I'm excited to declare what thus says the word of the Lord this Sunday. I was so excited and elated to hear my good friend, Minister Eugene Williams, preach last Sunday. I know he brought a great word, I enjoyed the word, and I know you did too. And brothers and sisters, this Sunday we have another great word from the Lord. I want to make sure that you all stay tuned and keep watching even at the end of this message because we will participate in communion. Remember, it's the last Sunday of the month and we always take communion on the last Sunday of the month. But also, being that it's the last Sunday of the month, it is also the last Sunday in Black History Month. Now, be it that as it may, although it's the last Sunday of Black History Month, It's still not the last Sunday for Black History. It's still not the last day for Black History. As long as you are alive, as long as you have air in your lungs and a beating heart, you are making Black History from day to day. So don't let our Black History studies, don't let all of your self-pride and joy end with this last day of Black History Month in February. Carry it with you 365 days of the year. Keep it going, keep it flowing, and keep adding to the legacy of black history in your personal life, in your family, in your community, and in this world. So brothers and sisters, as I said, there's a word from the Lord and the word this Sunday is coming from Matthew chapter 9 verse 27 through 32. That's Matthew chapter 9 verse 27 through 32. If you all can keep in mind, um, we are still in the season of Lent And as we are in the season of Lent, this scripture falls in line with our meditations that I've sent out to each and every one of you that are in our congregation for what we are meditating on this day for uh, this season of Lent. We are on the ninth chapter of Matthew. And if you can remember, we've talked about during our Ash Wednesday Bible study that starting from Ash Wednesday all the way to Resurrection Sunday, we're supposed to be moving through Matthew's gospel. So each day of the week, you should be meditating on scripture. You should be looking at what thus says the Lord all throughout Matthew's gospel as Jesus moves from birth, through his ministry, through the cross, and to resurrection. And that's what we are studying in scripture. So this Sunday's reading coming from Matthew chapter 9 is in accordance with us moving through the gospel text. Amen? Here we are. Matthew chapter 9 starting at verse 27. The Bible reads, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men, somebody say blind men, followed him, crying loudly, have mercy on us, son of David. Somebody say have mercy. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done. According to your faith, let it be done. Amen. And their eyes were open. Then Jesus sternly ordered them, see that no one knows of this. But they went away and spread the news about him throughout the district. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. Blind Faith, Blind Faith. I've entitled this one Blind Faith. You see, when I think of blind faith, it's hard not to think of the concept of sight. You see, sight is an interesting feature of the human experience. You see, you can have eyes and not see, you can Have knowledge that gives you certain insight and still not see the truth. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of waking up early in the morning, maybe a little bit more abruptly than you... Intended to and it takes you a minute for your eyes to adjust or maybe if you're in your house and you go from a dark room into a lighter room and you find yourself blinking your eyes trying to to adjust to the new setting of light in the room or or, or maybe you might have had the experience when you're reading something and it takes you a moment for your your eyes to regain focus and what you're seeing brothers and sisters the concept of seeing in sight is very interesting in our human experience. Just because you have eyes don't mean you have perfect vision. Just because you can see doesn't mean you can have an understanding of the full truth, brothers and sisters. This brings me to the point that there are aspects of seeing that go farther than what you can visualize and comprehend. I said there are aspects of seeing that go farther than what you can visualize and comprehend. You see, there are two aspects of this. There is practical vision, and then there is spiritual vision. You see, practical vision can be defined as visualizing and processing images that are transferred to the retina, which is the eye, and processed by the brain. You see, this is a two-part process of seeing with the eyes and comprehending with the brain. Hold on to that. Now, there, there, there's also spiritual vision. Now, spiritual build vision deals with the spirit, deals with the soul. It, it goes beyond with what you can see with the eyes. It's when a believer uses the Holy Spirit to discern God's will for their life. It's when a believer uses their spiritual vision to get an understanding of what's going on in, the real, in their reality. Whether or not someone has a good spirit or whether or not they should be in a certain environment. Spiritual vision goes beyond what the eye can see. Therefore, spiritual vision asserts some level of having faith. And you can remember that Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, brothers and sisters, if we evaluate these two concepts of practical vision and spiritual vision in tandem, it reveals to us that spiritual vision and faith doesn't require the same process as practical vision. It doesn't require the same process as physical vision. You see, faith requires a partnership between blindness and trust to truly practice. I said faith requires a process between, or I should say partnership, between blindness and trust to truly practice. That's in contrast to what is needed for practical vision. Remember, I said practical vision. You need to have the, the, the eye that allows you to see, but then you need also the brain working with the eyes in partnership so that you can comprehend. These two things work hand in hand, hand, in hand so that you can see and understand with your eyes and with your mind. But brothers and sisters, faith requires a partnership between some aspect of blindness and trust to truly appreciate what faith is. You see, what I'm trying to get at is that faith requires an additional step in the visual process for believers. Well, how so, Pastor? Let me tell you, it's, you see, in addition to what is seen with the eye and comprehended by the brain, for the believer, the believer must add another step in the process. So therefore, what is seen with the eyes and comprehended by the brain must be processed by the office of the spirit. Hold on, I'm coming down your street. I said the Holy Spirit, that's the office of the spirit that resides in us as believers. This Holy Spirit, it It takes what is seen that goes through the eyes and is processed by the brain and then it allows what is seen and processed with the eyes and and then comprehended by the brain and it evaluates it to see if it's a part of what God's plan is for our lives. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's the role of spiritual vision in our lives. Brothers and sisters, this means the Holy Spirit must have the resource of scripture to reference inside of us so that when the world submits a dilemma to the office of the Holy Spirit, we can be like Paul or we can understand what Paul says when he says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what the spiritual vision does. I don't want you to miss that. I need to say that again. The spiritual vision allows us not to conform to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our minds so that what you may discern is the perfect will of God. Therefore, it is essential for us to have equally as strong spiritual vision as it is essential for us to have physical vision. Brothers and sisters, as believers, we must challenge what is seen with the practical eyes and assess the situation with our spiritual eyes. Mm, I don't want you to miss that. I need to say that one more time. I said, as believers, we must challenge what is seen with our practical eyes and assess the situation with our spiritual eyes. That means assess the situation with our Holy Spirit that resides in us. That means assess the situation to make sure it is the perfect will of God. Brothers and sisters, you see, Hebrews eleven three three tells us by faith, we understand that the world was prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. I don't want you to miss that. I said Hebrews eleven three three tells us by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that aren't visible. Therefore, we should trust God. And not what we can see Because what is seen was created by that which is not seen Therefore we can trust a God whom we cannot see To impact this reality which we can see Therefore we shouldn't get caught up We shouldn't get too bothered We shouldn't get too frustrated by all the negative things and which we see going on in the world Because we serve a God that we can't see that has rule and reign over things that we can see. Brothers and sisters, the concept of sight is an interesting concept. The the the, 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 the ability to see in this reality is an interesting ability because perception isn't always reality just because you see something that looks a certain way doesn't mean that it is always be that specific way. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful for ancestors that had spiritual vision. Ancestors that looked far beyond what they could see with their eyes and started looking at what they could imagine and visualize with their spirit and visualize to as far as a hope for future to come. Brothers and sisters, when I think of spiritual vision, I think of Harriet Tubman. I think of Harriet Tubman that didn't take the reality of being a slave and let that stop her. But she took that reality, sent it to the office of the Holy Spirit and said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life freeing slaves, taking them from the south and bringing them through the north. And brothers and sisters, she said, yes, I freed thousands of slaves, but I uh, could have freed hundreds more if they only knew they were slaves. And brothers and sisters, she had a level of spiritual vision that gave her the insight, that gave her the ability to push and see beyond her reality. And brothers and sisters, what that shows us, what that teaches us is that at some point, you have to go beyond what is seen in this reality and tap into a vision that allows us to see things that aren't seen. That's not just Harriet Tubman, that also goes for a brother named Booker T. Washington. Brother Booker T. Washington was a slave. And although he was a slave, he came up from slavery and he founded what started off as Tuskegee Institute and then later on became became Tuskegee University. And brothers and sisters, this slave could have let his condition, could have let his situation, could have let what he did see as far as his current state be the end state of his reality, but what he said is, I have spiritual vision because I have vision that'll take me from where I am as long as I trust a God that will lead me to as far as I need to go. And brothers and sisters, I believe that same spirit that resided in Harriet Tubman that was also in Booker T. Washington also resides in you and I. Let me come down your street and let me turn in your driveway. New Morning Light Baptist Church, our founding pastor. Robert Holdo, oh yes, he had spiritual vision. After leaving Morning Star Baptist Church, he had the vision to start this church, New Morning Light Baptist Church, and he could've just let the idea fester and defer, but instead of doing that, he turned an idea into a reality. Yes, he faced many obstacles. Yes, you as some of the founding congregants faced many obstacles along the road. But now I stand in the manifestation of a vision that has become reality. And brothers and sisters, this is a testament to the fact that something that started out as an idea that was not seen became a reality that is seen. And now we are all reaping the benefits of a reality that at first wasn't seen, but now you are viewing and watching right now. Brothers and sisters, that goes to show that you can shape this reality. You can change this reality all if you believe. All if you tap into a higher power that's greater than yourself. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves here in the text. In Matthew chapter 9, we have two individuals that are going to teach us about spiritual vision. We have two individuals that are going to teach us about how important it is to have spiritual insight that goes far beyond physical vision or practical vision. Brothers and sisters, we learn about two individuals that the text does not give their name, but the text describes them as two blind men. Yes, these men had strong faith, but very weak eyes. Brothers and sisters, all these men could do was trust God because they couldn't see. Brothers and sisters, all these men could do was walk by faith and not by sight. And we find these two blind men in the text saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, they didn't have the process of steps one and two Step one and two in our process to remind you was first having the eyesight to see something, then having the brain and mind power to comprehend it so that we can truly visualize with our practical vision what is seen in this reality. No, they didn't have the first two processes to see All they had was the last process, which was the office of the Holy Spirit to discern. And brothers and sisters, these two blind men have been walking by faith and not by sight all of their lives. So therefore, when they encounter Jesus, they can see who he is. Brothers and sisters, these men are blind, but have better vision than those that can see. Because they know who they can call on to fix their problem. You see, in the text, the blind can see that they need to call on Jesus. So therefore, we must ask ourselves, if the blind can see this with their lack of vision, what can you see, huh? If the blind understand the importance of Jesus in the text, what do you understand as the importance of Jesus' role in your life? Brothers and sisters, to add, Context to the text here in scripture, we must understand what it means to be blind at this point in time in the Bible, brothers and sisters, to be blind at this point in time in the Bible is considered a handicap. But brothers and sisters, it's not considered a handicap by today's standards where they could just go collect disability or they could just go and receive resources and and go and be a part of a community of the blind. No, brothers and sisters, these blind men or anybody that was deemed as handicapped would be ostracized by the community. They would be ostracized and left to fend for themselves. They would be shunned and left out of the traditions and customs of the day because nobody wanted to deal with the blind men and women. Nobody wanted to deal with the handicapped men and women and brothers and sisters being blind was almost a death sentence in society. You see, the parents and the children are often ostracized by society. During this time, Sister Cooley, as I like to put it, during this time known as antiquity, amen, we see that the Jews considered people that were handicapped people that were sinners. Not only did they view the people that were handicapped as sinners, they viewed their parents as having sin, and sometimes they would debate whether or not if, it was, if the condition of the handicap was a result of the child's sin or was the result of the parent's sin, brothers and sisters. That's why they would ostracize these groups of people because they would say your sin was so bad that now your children are afflicted. And they almost looked at it as if it was contagious, brothers and sisters. Therefore, they would shun these types of people. We see evidence of this in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 that says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples, these are Jesus' own disciples, they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parent, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him brothers and sisters this is a paradigm shift here in the text this is a new way of interpreting what's happening in the lives of the blind men in this text but i'm telling you this to add context to the text so you can see the severity of being handicapped so you can see the severity of being blind during this day and age you see through the lens of practical vision the blind men's situation looks bad. However, with the spiritual lens of spiritual vision, their situation actually is looking kind of good. Brothers and sisters, what are you talking about, brothers and sisters? I know you're wondering what I'm referencing. Well, let me give you two lessons that come up or are stirred up from the text. Two, le- there are two lessons in Matthew chapter nine verses 27 through 32. You see, the lesson taught, there is a lesson that is taught by the blind men. And then there is a lesson taught by Jesus. You see, the blind men, they teach us as the audience, they teach us as readers who and how to call for liberation. I said the blind men, their lesson that they're trying to teach us is who and how to call for liberation. Then Jesus He's teaching us a lesson and he teaches us who and how to serve. Brothers and sisters, just to recap, I want you to know, I want you to walk away with this, that the blind men are teaching us who and how to call for liberation. And Jesus is teaching us who and how to serve. Brothers and sisters, the blind men, in verse 27, they say, have mercy on us, son of David. You see, this teaches the importance of submission and the necessity to know who God is. You see, when you see the term have mercy, that means somebody has had enough. When you see the term, have mercy, that means they've had enough and they've tapped out, brothers and sisters. When you see or hear somebody say, have mercy, that means they can't put up with any more of the stress. That means they're tired. That means they're worn out. Brothers and sisters, these blind men come to Jesus and they say, have mercy on us. They're saying have mercy on us when they're looking at the fact that everybody shunned them. They're saying have mercy on us when they're looking at the fact that they have no community except each other. They're saying have mercy on us because they're looking at the fact that the government doesn't care for them. Their religion doesn't care for them. Their families don't care for them. They're saying can somebody have mercy on us? I remember when I was in elementary school, one thing We used to like to do as young boys, is wrestle and play fight. We used to play this game called Mercy. And in this game called mercy, you would wrestle around with somebody until they got you in a chokehold that you couldn't get out of, and then you would have to cry out, mercy, mercy, because, because if you didn't cry out, you could possibly be passed out from not having enough air reach your lungs because you were getting choked out. Or if you didn't, say, have mercy, you might possibly get an arm broke or a leg broke because somebody was playing with you too hard. So you would use the term mercy to let somebody know I've had enough. And brothers and sisters, you see these blind men in the text asking for mercy. And it's not just the blind men here that are in the text asking for mercy. Sometimes it's you at home that are asking for mercy based on the weight of the world. Because the weight of the world is too much based on what you see versus what you believe. And it's not adding up based off of the fact that when everything is falling apart, all you can say it's have mercy on me. Have mercy. When you give it you're all and you just can't fight anymore, have mercy on me. You see, asking for mercy is a petition to the creator for help. And brothers and sisters, we see these two blind men in the text petitioning. To Jesus to have mercy on them then if we move a little further they partner that petition with calling him by his title they don't call him Jesus they don't call him King of kings and Lord of Lord they say have mercy on us son of David you see they acknowledge Jesus's power and authority through his lineage Brothers and sisters, I want to give you a little background information on the fact that whenever you see Son of David in the text in reference to Jesus, this is a theological claim. Some of you all can remember that every time I mention the book of Matthew, I always preface it with the fact that it's a gospel. And those of you all that have been watching for a long time, I always like to ask that the word gospel means what? I wish I could hear you because I know you're saying it at home. Uh, The word gospel means good news. And brothers and sisters, the reason Matthew's gospel is good news, because Matthew's gospel has one focus. Matthew's gospel has one point, and that is to exalt Jesus as the Jewish messianic Messiah prophesied about through the Old Testament. And the way they do this, the way they prove this, is going through the entire lineage of Jesus. All the way back from Abraham. And they go through it to show that Jesus is descended from King David. You may be asking, Pastor, where is that? Well, let me tell you. That's right at the beginning of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1. If you have your Bibles, look at that. It says, in account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez. And it goes on and on and on until it gets to David to show that Jesus is connected to the lineage, the royal lineage of King David, making sure that you understand that Jesus just ain't some Johnny come lady. This is a theological claim that the blind men are pointing out that I identify that you're a part of a lineage of royalty. I identify and I know who you are, although I can't see you. So brothers and sisters, what Matthew is trying to prove what Matthew is preaching and has tapped on my shoulder and told me to preach so that you understand this is that he's trying to get you to see that even the blind men can see that Jesus is the Messiah and what Matthew is trying to convict the reader is that if the blind men can see that Jesus is the Messiah if the blind men can can see that they need to go to Jesus for healing. If the blind men have an understanding of the fact that Jesus has gone through 14 generations to come to this point to be our Savior, what do you need to do as far as understanding who Jesus is in your life? Brothers and sisters, Matthew's gospel is trying to bring and expose the underlying thing that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the bringer of salvation. Jesus Is the true anointed one. And Matthew's gospel is showing through the least of these. Those that are marginalized by society. Those that are blind and have been shunned. That even they realize the importance of this man. So brothers and sisters. That brings me back to the divine question. That if blind men can identify Jesus as the Messiah. Can you? I said, if blind men can identify that they need to call on their Lord and Savior, can you? What that teaches us is that although you may not see God physically, you can trust him spiritually. Although you may not truly understand how God works in your life, you don't have to know how God works in your life to know that he's working in your life. This shows us that you can call on his name and believe in him as he believes in you. Brothers and sisters, belief in God is essential to healing. And these blind men come to Jesus to expose and reveal to him that although they cannot see, they believe that he is a source of healing. Brothers and sisters, if we go down to verse 28, verse 28 shows us And says, do you believe I can do this? Now, this is Jesus's lesson. This is the part of the sermon where Jesus is now teaching us something. Jesus's actions go beyond his question and teaches us the importance of validating a person's humanity. I know you may be asking, I don't know, Pastor. I don't see all that in the text. Well, let me make it plain for you. You see, these blind men have been ostracized. They have been shunned their entire life. And Jesus, who they have identified, is the son of David, the Messianic king, stops and talks to them. That means although society walks past them, although society brushes them off, although the world has shunned them, Jesus, the Messianic Messiah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, stops and engages them. That should be gospel good news to you. That should encourage you to let you know that no matter what society thinks of you, no matter what society says about you, no matter what people have done to you, you serve a king and a creator that will stop and acknowledge you where you are, that will stop and acknowledge your pain. Brothers and sisters, Jesus asked them, do you believe I can do this? Now, that should have really been a rhetorical question. Realistically, he didn't have to ask that question because obviously they believed he could do it because they're blind and somehow even in the midst of their blindness, they have found him. And the text says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. And brothers and sisters, I would make the argument that they're not following him because they don't believe in him, but they're following him because they're seeking salvation. They're seeking freedom from this earthly hell. Brothers and sisters, I heard commentator Shannon Sharp say a people living in hell aren't worried about going to hell. And brothers and sisters, these blind men in the text are currently living in hell. So before they can even get to the point of being saved from a spiritual hell, they're trying to ask God to liberate them from their earthly hell. And brothers and sisters, what that should teach you and what that should speak to you, what the gospel good news in that is that you don't have to wait to die to try to get some aspect of salvation. That if you're going through hell on earth right now, you can call on the name of Jesus and be liberated right now. And brothers and sisters, we see these blind men in the text are calling on Jesus. And not only are the blind men in the text calling on Jesus, Jesus stops and acknowledges them where they are. Jesus doesn't brush them off. Jesus doesn't shun them. Jesus doesn't make them feel bad for their condition. Jesus doesn't poke fun of them and make little jokes. Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? Brothers and sisters, this is gospel good news because he teaches us the importance of preserving a person's humanity and healing them through validating their self-worth. Meaning, before I get to giving you anything, before I get to feeding the hungry, before I get to giving you money if you're begging for money, before I get to all the other aspects of what you need, let me validate your humanity first they just talking to you. What that does is saying, I see you. I respect you as a human being. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we're so caught up in what we feel like people should be. We're so caught up in what we feel like people should look like. We're so caught up in the fact that this individual may be so filled with hatred and filled with evil, filled with negativity that we don't time, take time to validate A person's humanity. Sometimes all we see is the negative. But don't see the fact that. No matter who you're dealing with. They're still a child of God. Brothers and sisters. This is a deep lesson. Because before he gets to healing. The blind men physically. He deals with what they need emotionally. That they just needed to be validated. As human. That makes me think of when I went to the optometrist. The optometrist is an eye doctor. And the eye doctor liked bringing up this story in the Bible about the blind man. And he liked sharing it with people. And he saw that I was reading some religious literature in his office as I was waiting. So he figured he would share it with me. And he told me that when people read these passages of scripture about Jesus healing the blind, they only look at the fact. That he gives them sight, but don't understand the details behind that. He says, as an optometrist, I have a lot of insight to what people need to be able to see. And just like I mentioned in the sermon in the beginning, he talked about sight has two components to it. It has what you can see visually, meaning the process that happens with the eyes. But there's also a second process that takes place in the brain. And that if these two concepts aren't working in tandem, the eyes working and the brain working together, you can have working eyes, but the brain isn't processing what it's seeing. Or you can have a working brain, but since the eyes aren't fully working correctly, you still won't be able to have good sight. And he said, these two things are constantly working in tandem, working together so you can see the reality And which is set before you. So when Jesus heals the blind, he's not only healing the eyes. Come on. He's also healing the mind. When Jesus is working on what you can see, he's also getting your mind set together, brothers and sisters. And what Jesus has done here in the text with these blind men is he's worked on their physical vision, but he's also worked on their mentality as well. And brothers and sisters, we serve a God that works on us in ways far beyond what we can conceive. We come to God asking for one thing, but God also heals us and helps us in other ways. And brothers and sisters, we see here in the text that he appeals to the blind men emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you with the knowledge that God can heal you. God can transform your life. God can liberate you from hell on earth through validating your humanity, but also healing you mentally, physically, and spiritually. And the question still stands from the text, do you believe? And brothers and sisters, it always comes back down to belief. It always comes back down to this aspect of us seeking and chasing God. And what Matthew's gospel is trying to show us is that even the blind are seeking and chasing a God they cannot see. And brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, this Sunday, that if the blind men, are searching and seeking seeking for a God they cannot see. What can you do with your eyes? What can you do with your job and your house? What can you do with your health and all the things that God has blessed you with? Can you at least search and seek for a God you cannot see? Because that same God will heal you. That same God will transform your life. That same God will bless you beyond measure. All you have to do is believe. That's blind faith, brothers and sisters. That's faith unseen, brothers and sisters. That's the necessity to work on our spiritual vision as much as we care about our physical vision. Yes, brothers and sisters, sight is an interesting feature of the human experience. You see, you can have eyes and not see. You can have knowledge that gives you certain insight and still not know the truth. But we see in the text today that Matthew's gospel has challenged us to identify Jesus as a Messiah and healer. Can you see it? We see in Matthew's gospel that the blind men have taught us the importance of spiritual vision and how it is equally as important as practical vision. Can you see it? This text has taught us through Jesus The importance of validating each other. And that Jesus validates our humanity. Can you see it? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that if you do not have a relationship with God, it is of the utmost importance that you let the scales fall from your eyes. That you transform your thinking and the way you're viewing this world. By seeking, just like these blind men, A deeper relationship with God. It's through seeking a deeper relationship with God that after you encounter him, you'll go from being blind to now being able to see. Things that you were blinded by as far as the the, the weight of the world. Things that you were blinded by as far as the appeal of friends and loved ones. Things that you were blinded by as far as trying to survive from day to day. When you develop a relationship with God. He'll take those scales from your eyes. And allow you to truly see him. And know that he can handle all of these things for you. But just as the text says. You have to believe. So brothers and sisters. For the remainder of this week. I want you to meditate on this text. And I want you to meditate on the concept of seeing. And seeing God in a different light, of understanding God in a different way, and inviting God into your prayer life, inviting God into your spiritual life. So that as you walk and talk and deal with people, deal with scenarios, as situations are submitted to the office of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That you have enough resources for that Holy Spirit to properly evaluate what you're dealing with and give you the best course of action. So now, brothers and sisters, if any one of you that are watching do not have a church home and you like this God that will validate you and want nothing in return but your love and your loyalty, you can give your life to Christ. You can make New Morning Light Baptist Church your church home, and I would be honored to be your pastor. But all you have to do is give yourself fully to God and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And the easy part is confessing with your mouth. But the daily struggle is believing it in your heart so that no matter what comes up as an obstacle, you can still persevere with faith. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday. I pray that this message blesses you and I pray it convicts you to have a different insight on how you view your reality and the necessity for having God in your life. Remember the joy I have. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. You should always be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. God bless you, and may God keep you. Amen. Church family, the Bible tells us that those Who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. And those who sow bountifully will also reap bountifully. For God loves a cheerful giver. And, brothers and sisters, what I would like to remind you is that during this time, we appreciate all of your contributions to this ministry. I want to remind you that during this time, it is good to pray. However, a ministry cannot be sustained on prayers alone but also must be sustained on the actions and the cheerful giving of its congregation. So you all have been faithful tithers, faithful givers in the midst of all that we've experienced during this time. However, what I'm asking you is to continue to sustain that level of giving so that we can sustain this ministry. As you know, we can never repay God. We can never give God enough in comparison to all that God has done for us. However, through financial contributions, what we are doing is showing God that money does not have a hold over us that would separate us from an in-depth and genuine relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, I don't believe in that concept of you pay God, then God repays you with blessings. No, you give to the church and you give to God by showing that you're willing to sacrifice in order to show God That he is the one that sustains your life and not that you sustain your life on your own. So brothers and sisters, once again, thank you for your contributions. Thank you for supporting this ministry. And always remember, you are the light of conduct and the darkness shall not overcome you. God bless you and have a wonderful week. family thank you again for joining us for communion and as we've done so many times before we are here with our bread and we are here with our blood which is symbolic of the blood and body of Jesus Christ now this is one of the oldest traditions that we have in our Christian tradition brothers and sisters this is symbolic of the actual blood and body of Jesus Christ that was sacrificed on the cross Isaiah tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. It is by those stripes that we receive the blood. It is by those stripes that we receive the body. And it is by those stripes that we are reminded of the seriousness and of the traumatic experience of our Savior being beaten and killed at the cross. So brothers and sisters, we partake in this so that we don't take salvation lightly. So that we don't take the grace of God lightly. So that as we eat and we drink the symbolic blood, blood and body of our Savior Jesus Christ, we eat and drink this as a reminder as we go through life that we need to take each step seriously as a Christian and in our Christian faith. I just preached about being in right relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, this is our direct connection to keep our mind In right relationship with God So at this time I hope you have your bread prepared And I hope you have whatever element you have That you're going to drink And we will partake in communion Matthew's gospel tells us That he took the body He broke it And he said eat For this is my body broken for you Take and eat Then he took the cup And he said, this is my blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, at this time, after taking communion and after reflecting over the traumatic experience of the cross, take that experience with you and take this communion with you through the remainder of your week so that you can be intentional about having the right relationship with God. We don't want to have cheap grace. We don't want to have cheap salvation. Cheap in the sense of us not necessarily valuing all that was sacrificed at the cross. But the sacrifice at the cross was the ultimate sacrifice, which is death. And brothers and sisters, we are reminded of the death of our Savior and his resurrection through partaking in communion. Now, say with me, as we always say in our statement of faith, this joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. I am thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. God bless you, brothers and sisters, and have a safe and healthy week.